I got to tell you, folks, we've got a, uh, a, a just a killer guest coming up, and I want to I want to read a little bit of the profile and and uh, get you as excited as I am, which I don't think will ever happen because. I'm just so excited. Everyone knows the music from Wilson Pickett's Mustang Sally to Etta James' Tell Mama to Aretha Franklin's I Ain't Never Loved a Man to Alicia Keys' Pressing On. But not many know the complicated, volatile, and impossibly driven man behind the elusive Muscle Shoals sound. That rare and coveted secret sauce that made droves of successful artists and literally hundreds of gold and platinum records possible. Rick Hall is the father of the Muscle Shoals sound and the unofficial father of the funky, catchy, and distinctively southern vibe, uh, you know, style of music, right? And it really kind of helped define a generation. Uh, So seemingly from its uh, founding halls, famed studios in, uh, uh, down in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Uh, Muscle Shoals itself, a rural town of 8,000 residents, became an almost mystical breeding ground for transcendent music, inexplicably attracting the biggest names in the music, music industry. Music wasn't a big word. Uh, to fly in for a creative recording uh, sessions produced. And you know what? I hate reading these things. I just want to talk to the guest. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Hall on the Drew Marshall Show. Mr. Hall... Uh, there are very few people in my life that I would consider legends. You are one of them. It is such a privilege to talk to you. I appreciate you saying that, and, and part of it's true, but not all of it's true. I, I, I don't think I'm a legend yet, but, you know, who knows? <laughs> no. how, how are you doing? How well, are you doing? We're doing well. I understand you're you're actually at the studio right now. Are you doing a little autograph thing or something? Yeah, we're, we're, we're autographing books, and we've autographed about 300 so far today. Fantastic. Fantastic. You know, I keep reading in your bio, uh, the, it's the, your bio says a few things, and I know that dealing with rock stars, you've got to have a bigger ego than they do sometimes, right? But it's been said that you're a complicated and volatile. You okay with those descriptions? <laughs> well, you know, I, I guess I am those, those, those words, you know. But but I don't I don't think I am. But you know sometimes what you think you are is not what you really are. You know with other people. Yeah, right? yeah. But it it's, it makes it sound like you're a jerk. Are you? I, I probably am a jerk. You know <laughs> I, I I guess I guess you could call me a jerk. But in the music business, if you're in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, with with eight thousand people, like you say, you have to be somewhat of a jerk in order to get your foot in the door, and then you have to drive. Drive everything home yeah. in order to have a hit record, and then you have to raise all kinds of cane with with people and that's with the record labels to get paid and so et cetera et cetera so it's tough it's tough it's a tough gig man really okay, so muscle shoals right it's just south of Nashville, just east of Memphis, and the sound well people say it's heavy on the bass and heavy on the kick drum um it, what else, though? I mean, what, it's a weird little thing going on down there, Muscle Shoals, you know? Not only is it a place, you know, not quite like Nashville, not quite like Memphis, it's a little bit out of the way, it's on the way to somewhere, but it's got a thing, it's got a vibe, there's something about the river, it, you know, can you can you actually, it seems indescribable, and that's part of the hook, so I'm asking you to describe it, which is going to wreck the hook. Well, you know, I'm asking it every, 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 every time I get on a... On a show, radio show, yeah, yeah. radio show, but it's a good question, you know, because I really can't fully describe it. But I can tell you this: the influence of it is somewhere between country music, which is Nashville, Tennessee, and black music, which is uh, the Mississippi Delta, and that influence. So, so between the two of them, there's a mishmash 
with white musicians and black musicians and a Duke's mixture that comes out pretty good stuff, you know. Hmm. Uh, well, okay, so so Studio A, that's your baby. That's where you cut all your hit records, right? Yes, sir. Yes, okay, sir. and Studio B, that's like bands and small groups. Why did you cut Wilson Pickett's Hey Joe and B and not A? Well, I just built the studio, and back back when the the Beatles and all of them started happening over here, the groups, the group sounds, and uh, we wanted. I didn't want them in my way, so we they wanted to get high or do whatever it is they do, <laughs> and they they they, ch- they checked into Studio B, and I built Studio B as an afterthought of th- thinking, hey, you know, I, I want to get them out of my out of my way, so. Get them over there where I can, but I didn't want interrupt. I didn't want interruptions onto the Osmonds or Mac Davis or somebody else. I was cutting or Clarence Carter or Wilson Pickett or Aretha Franklin. So uh, I, I chose to build another smaller studio for the groups and let them do their thing over there and get out of my way and let me do my thing. You know, so that's that's why. And of course, I cut the one session over there. Oh, hey, Joe on Wilson Pickett because uh, I wanted to try the studio out. It was brand new, and so I wanted to try the studio out okay. to see if it really had the magic, you right. know. And, and so, Drew, that's, 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 that's my reasoning for cutting that one song over there and never going back. R- Rick, the, the biggest question I have for you, and I, I was going to wait to mention this later because I don't want you to, you know, get bugged to me or anything. So no, I'm, no, no, no. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop it now. You ready? Yes, sir. Who won the fight between you and Mr. Uh, Aretha Franklin? Well, <laughs> I, I, I think I did. I think I did. You know, he... Uh, but he was tanked up, right? He, he, well, he was tanked up. Yeah. No, I was sober as a judge, but of course... <laughs> of course, I had, I'd had a couple of drinks, but I wasn't I wasn't down like he was. You know, he was uh, all over the place, and he was calling me Whitey and, and all that kind of stuff, so... <laughs> oh, man. I, I, took a, I took a little of it for a while, and then... I said, I said, I said, let me tell you something, Ted. You are going to keep on whiting me, and I'm going to figure you, and we're going to go round and round. Yeah. So that's that's what took place. Yeah, and that ain't getting anybody anywhere. No, no, no. Because no, I I, I got to rephrase that a little bit because I don't like what I just said. No, but but, but no, I listen. Not, uh, we're in the day and age where the you know the words are bad and everybody freaks out over them now. But back in those days, you just spoke the truth. You said it like it was, man. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, I did. That's how I felt about it. Yep. Uh, I didn't. I mean, the last guy in the world that black people could call me was a a guy a whitey because I was not one of those guys. I wasn't an Uncle Tom. Uh, I was I was a guy all about all about black music and about black, and I was cutting hit records in the studio with Wilson Pickett and Aretha Franklin when Dr. Martin Luther King was uh, getting run out of Birmingham. You know. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. So Selma is only a three four hour drive south of Muscle Shoals, right? Well, it's about four five hours, maybe. Oh, okay. Well, okay. I drive a little faster than you. That's it. <laughs> um, so a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the Selma March. We had uh, we had Noel Paul Stuckey on the show with his wife, Betty, from Peter, Paul, and Mary. 
and they were involved. You know, they were there. They sang and played at Martin Luther King's big speech, and you know, whole thing. Where were you when that horrible police brutality thing went down in Selma? Do you remember where you were? Oh, at? Oh yes, I was in the recording studio cutting Wilson Pickett or Aretha Franklin uh, on her first, very first hit record that she ever had in her life. And uh, I ain't never loved the man the way I love you and do right woman, do right man. So I was in the studio with, with Aretha Cutting, hmm. uh, R. Wilson Pickett, our Otis Redding. Uh, so uh, in those days, in the 60s, you got to understand, Drew, that the only thing I worked with was Black Axe. Mm-hmm. And so my competition was Tax Records in Memphis. And uh, it certainly wasn't nice because I wasn't, uh, I wasn't doing any country music. Uh, it was all it was all black music, and so that has to do somewhat with the question you asked me uh, about uh, the kind of music we were cutting and so forth. Mm. But but we 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 were. I, I, I'm all about black people. I'm all about black acts. And if it wasn't for black people and black artists. I wouldn't be a record producer today. Did the uh, did the KKK ever give you any grief for being colorblind? Oh yeah, oh yeah. They uh, the only grief we got was was from the KKK and from from white people. We never we were we were never bothered by black people because obviously they they they, they wanted somebody a, a white guy who could get them in the door at Capitol Records in Los Angeles or New York City and Atlantic Records. Hmm. So they were, they, they were all about uh, Tuscumbia. When when uh, Carter came in the presidency uh, during the Carter era, he was uh, the, the the Ku Klux Klan turned out in big numbers hmm. uh, down here in Muscle Shoals. So that's where he opened his campaign, and of course Phil Walden and I were together and. And we were doing our thing. Where are you located, by the way? A little place called Canada. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> I love it. Yes, I've heard of it okay. a couple of times. Okay. All right. So we were just outside of a little city called Toronto, Toronto, Canada. Well, that's great. That's great. Home of well, home of Justin Bieber. <laughs> yes, exactly. Hey, amen to that. You know? <laughs> Listen, um, I I think I could be a producer. Uh, because I think I know a hit song, and I think I know how to get the best out of musicians. But I, I don't know the technical stuff. And I got a guy sitting here in the studio with me who is one of Toronto's, uh, you know, big names in the in the music producing world. His name is Doug Romano, and I want to introduce you to for a second, Doug Romano, Rick Hall, Rick Hall, Doug Romano. Hey, Doug. Hey, Rick. How are you, man? Oh man, I'm good. I'm I'm real good. You know, the birds are singing in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. The flowers are blooming. It's springtime, and well, and the, the, the music is all great. Yeah, and the the penguins are are singing here <laughs> the in Canada. Penguins are <laughs> the polar bears are yawning, and yeah. <laughs> well, That's we funny. we won't That's we won't funny. even go there, Rick. Um, you know, I'm a bit of a baby producer. I'm only about 25 years in, uh, so I, I really know nothing. Um, <laughs> and he's, he's uh, so Canadian. He's so humble. Yeah, well, I know. I, I, know. You, I cut a lot of records in Nashville. So I'm I'm back and forth uh, a lot. Uh, haven't been down to Muscle Shoals yet, but that's uh, scheduled on my next trip in a couple of weeks. Um, Please, I just w- wanted to ask you. You know, most of us have heard about the. You know, there's so many challenges in the music business. Um, uh, obviously, decline in CD sales and uh, illegal downloads. Um, 
for artists. You know, there's these. It's called uh, the problem we've got is called computers. Yeah, yeah. There's those things. You spend so much time looking at a screen now, right? Instead of looking at a Too set of meters or, or looking at the it's, at the floor with the musicians. But but you know something, uh, you know your eyes don't know what your ears are hearing. Well, that's right. We're we're, we're trying to look at the music instead of uh, uh, experiencing amen, the music. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. But there's a you know with with the problems with downloads and and um, there's lack of funding for promotion and uh, a general distrust of of record labels that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, y- you've been in the business. I'm going to guess around 50 years or, or less or more. But um, 83 years yeah. he's been in the business. Um, <laughs> <laughs> tell tell me what some of the biggest Thank challenges you, uh, that you've experienced uh, in in making records. What would you say are the the biggest challenges? Uh, you mean over that, time or today? Yeah, no, over time. Sort of the things that have really come to mind is is the biggest uh, roadblocks or problems that you've had to solve. Well, you know, I, I can't speak for the for the, the masses, but I, I haven't had that many problems. But but of course, what we do in Muscle Shows and and our way of cutting records is different from what they did in L.A. and what they did in New York City and what they did in Detroit and, and, and that whole thing. But what we do is we believe that you take, instead of taking a a computer man with a pro tool and put him in the basement somewhere and letting him do all the parts and play all the parts and and, and he makes makes the computer sound like a, ban- a guitar sound like a banjo or the banjo sound like a guitar and a harmonica sound like strings, well, we don't believe that that's the way to do it. We believe you take 10 or 12 musicians in a recording studio and set up the mics for all of them, and they, you give them all earphones, and they play off of each other. It's like a basketball, you know, a well-oiled mm. basketball team. But uh, I think that's that's the only way to cut records. I There's mean, it's the old-fashioned way, but it's, it's the way I believe in, and it's what I've what I've experienced in my lifetime and, and of course the Mac Davises and the, and the Aretha Franklins and Paul Ankers and Tom Jones and Otis Redding and Aretha Franklin and so forth uh, all came as a result of my theory. Well, listen, Prince Charles told me never to drop names. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, 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 I hear what you're saying in terms of creating that musical conversation in the moment and trying to capture it. Yes. You've you got musicians that are out there speaking to each other, and you don't get that in the overdub process. No, you don't. you got one guy uh, talking to himself, you know, uh, on, on the on the to process mm-hmm. and of course ours was 24 tracks and 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 of course now that you know and 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 my days of when i was hot and i'm still pretty hot <laughs> but uh Smoking. when i was when i was in the 60s and 70s in the early 80s uh i was the number one record producer in the world according to billboard magazine and and uh so I was doing the Osmonds, and I was doing Mac Davis. I was doing Tom Jones. I was doing uh, Andy Williams and everybody that I could get my hands on. So my theory was the old watermelon theory. You know, if, if you're going to grow a big watermelon, you've got to plant a lot of them, you know. <laughs> That's fair enough. I was going to ask you, like, how would you define a successful project? 
in today's day and age, if you're making a record, what are the parameters for you? When you sign off, hand off the masters and say, this record's done, it's no longer in my hands, it's, it's out there for someone else to work, hmm. how do you define it as successful? What, what does that good mean? Good question. Oh, that's a tough question. Yeah, that's a good question, though. Well, that's the easy ones. I got a list of I got way harder <laughs> yeah, well, ones you than got, that. You got some tougher ones. Okay. All right. Let me let me take a stab. Start with, with the that easy one. one. <laughs> that's the easiest one you've got. <laughs> well, no, I'll tell you what I, I think personally. I think getting the label excited about your project is the most important thing you can do. Hmm. And of course, the way to do that is is to cut hit a lot of hit records. Right. And of course, the way to sell a lot of albums is to fill the album full of number one records. Uh, and so it's a, it's a simple process, but it's, it, it, it's not as simple as it sounds. It's not an easy so, process, so, I mean, right? You, you, I mean, how, how, how often do you find a number one record in a song? And, and that's where it all starts with the song, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and the marriage between the song and the artist, mm-hmm. and on and on and on. And then you've got to convince the record label that you're right and they're wrong. Uh, so, the promotion so, staff, the sales staff, and all the other people. So you're saying it's 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 a simple process. All you need is a hit song with a hit artist. Hit song with a hit artist and a label that's willing to get behind you and believe in you enough as a record producer that you won't go in there and waste a bunch of money. That sounds like the biggest understatement I've heard all day. Because <laughs> well, that, that is probably an understatement. <laughs> you know. And, and, but you know what? We are... We are uh, the villains. We are the villains. We are the people that made this happen. Mm-hmm. We're the people that got $500,000 for an album. Uh, we're the people that uh, uh, demanded that you have five independent promotion men on, your, on every record you come out with. And we are the people that put the record business, I mean, put, put them out of business. And we are the publishers who... Uh, Demanded, you know, that we sell X amount of records before uh, you would license the thing to them. So, so, so before I, we get, I'm to... of the opinion that the combination of a great record producer who knows what a hit song is and can put his finger on hit songs and has a relationship with publishing companies all over the world that he can call and say, "Look, I'm cutting." Elvis Presley, and I want a song for him. And if they can call you back and tell you uh, that they've got that song, you and and you've got to have a personal contact with songwriters. I mean, songwriting is the thing. I mean, you know, you know the hot writers, and you're mm-hmm. familiar with them, and I am too. Mm-hmm. So you know, you know who's hot and who's not. So it's it's not just running power tools. Is that what they call that? Power Pro pa- tools. Power tools. Power tools. Um, yeah, I like that word. I like that terminology. Yeah. <laughs> Rick, Rick um, let me ask you a, a, maybe an easier question. What's your favorite part of the process? Oh, my favorite part of the process is probably the mixing process. Is that the same with you? Yeah, it's it's my favorite part of the process, but I, I it's not about me. I, no, why, but I why just want to know if you dig that. You, oh, you I see lo- what you're saying? I, I actually mix... Uh, some producers don't mix, but I mix 90% of the records that I make. Huh. Um, well, I mix all the records I've made, every, every one I've ever made. There's, and, there's, and so that that way you can please yourself. And and, that's, and, and I'll mm-hmm. tell you something else. I mix as I go. 
Right. I don't wait until the final process and say we'll fix it in the mix. Mm-hmm. It don't work, man. I mean, you know, the guitar lick that worked when you had four instruments on it, it don't work after you get the background voices and you got the horns and all the other things. Right. You know? So you're making commitments as you go. A- absolutely. Absolutely. And I think everybody should do that. I, but but now I can't tell anybody how to. That's what makes the world turn. Is we've got a variety that not everybody does the records like I do. Uh, I just want to. I just want to remind our listeners we are on the phone with Rick Hall, who. Um, I know this makes you a little bit awkward, but he is a legend. Uh, he, you won a Lifetime Achievement Award Grammy kind of stuff, didn't you? Did you get any money for that or just the gold statue? I got a statue. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I bet a coin would have been nice, eh? Come on. Yes, I'm telling you, it, it would have been... It would have been it would have been great. Or is it, it, been is great. it a life size statue of you? Yes, that's exactly what it is. A li- <laughs> they, yeah, yeah. They got it in Philadelphia at the top of the stairs, right beside Rocky. Can I ask you about a little bit about your background? I mean, I know, I know your father was a sawmiller. He moved around a lot. You're raised in little shacks, dirt floors. Your older brother's death was a big, big deal in your family, and it was a cause of your mom and dad splitting up pretty much, wasn't it? Amen. You got it all. You got it all right. So, and you were what five when that happened? I was five. My sister was four. I was five. And then, and then you got this brutal car accident where you lose your wife. Yes, I did. Music got you through it. That I've heard you say that. Music got yeah, you through yeah, it. Yeah, got it. Got me through it. But, but I, 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 I'll tell you this: music and whiskey got me through it. Yeah, yeah. They sometimes go hand in fist. Well, um, the music the music does sound. It's like a good sound it d- system. Yes, it's, it's a better sound system with a, with the with other a, stuff with, with a good bottle of Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is. It is. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. But what I want to know is, you know, when when a lot of bad stuff goes down in people's lives, they either hit the bottle or they hit God. How come you never hit on God? Well, that's a good question. Because. A week after my wife was killed in a car automobile accident, my father turned the tractor over on himself and, and broke his neck, and he died in the field. Uh, and that was a week later after, and he, he helped me bury my uh, his wife, and then he was killed himself, and we buried him the following week. So did you get bugged at God? I would have. Well, I did. I did give up on God, and I, I went away from him, and I stayed away until... Oh, a year ago. What? A year ago. I, I, I joined the church, and I am a saved man, and I'm going to heaven when I die. Dude, talk about cutting it close. Cutting it very close, wasn't it? Shumping. I'm, I'm telling you, you know, it's it's crazy, but, but I, I gave up on God, as you said, and I said, well, he's down on me. You know, he's uh, he's got it in for me, so... I'm, I'm joining the devil, you know, and I'm I'm doing things his way. What's it been like being being now able to look upwards with a bit of smile on your face as opposed to hanging your head? Well, you know, I got to tell you something. I was in Sunday school last Sunday. <laughs> and I'll be there again tomorrow. Uh, you must terrify said, the kids. Yes. And I, so uh, this guy asked me. He said, "Well, let me tell you something. We want to hear your testimony." And so I started out with the whole thing, you know, and. And I had an hour to get through it. So we had one of the guys got me good. He said, look, I mean, here's a man who's made millions of dollars. 
He's had all these number one records in the world. He's had all kinds of accolades from everywhere in the world. And he, he knows all the artists and the big big name people and the record labels and so forth. So why do you need Jesus? Now, that was a, that was a tough one. Yeah. I said, well, I wasn't happy. I, I wasn't happy. And so that is why I needed Jesus. And I, I wanted... I wanted to know I was going to heaven, or had a had a shot at least of going to heaven. Somebody once said a Mormon told me when I was doing the Osmonds uh, uh, up in Utah. He told me he said, "You know, any church is better than no church." So I have to agree with that. You know, uh, whatever your religion is, if it's Mormon, if it's Baptist, if it's whatever, uh, to go to church is very important. And I and I think I, and so I, I I believe that now and 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 I'm I'm never been happier, guys. I have never been happier. Really? I've never been happier in my life. Because you I've got a great I've got a great wife who's been with me fifty two years, Ooh. uh, almost all my life, and uh, and I've got a great business. I don't owe anybody anything. We 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 have. A condo on the beach. We got all the things that you want in life. So, I and you're still get. making, uh, Rick. You're still making records. Yes, I'm still making records. So you got <laughs> you got that too. That's awesome. I got that too. You know what? When I went to Sunday school as a young boy, they had those flannel boards. You know where they'd put up a picture of Noah or whatever. So when you do Sunday school, do you have like Grammy awards, like little flannel <laughs> gold a albums? Flannel Grammy award. <laughs> Well, back in uh, nineteen, I guess it's Grammy. <laughs> I, he's got he's got a little flannel. No, we don't we don't we don't give Grammys at, at church. No, but we uh, we uh, <laughs> I, I'll tell you something. We do do. Uh, we we pray a lot. Hmm. Uh, we we pray for friends with people with sicknesses. Mm-hmm. Can you do uh, me? Can you do me a favor? Can you pray? Yeah. Can you pray that the civil wars get back together again, please? Oh, I love that. Well, yes, yes, I. I will pray for that, and 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 and, and I'm gonna. I, 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 I tell you, these guys are crazy, but something happened there, you know. Hmm. And you know what it was? It was a man and woman thing, <laughs> you know. But, uh, oh, you're funny. You are just. Yeah. Can I, there's, you know, I'm I, enjoying this, guys. I'm, I'm having a ball. Well, thank you. We are too, and, and we've got a, We've actually got a recording artist about to come in studio and set up and perform live. But just before we say goodbye to you, I got to get your take on on uh, Bruno Mars because Bruno Mars seems to be now, but he also feels like the next. Can you explain that to me? Well, he's he's like when when I recorded. The first number one record on Aretha Franklin, or Percy Sledge, or whoever, uh, that, you know, you said, wait a minute, can this be happening to me? Yeah. Uh, can this be happening to me in a, in a town of 8,000 people when, you know, Los Angeles has got 8 million or whatever, Yeah, yeah. and New York City's got 10 million, and they've got more songwriters and more singers and more... One one time, a, pe- a person told me from Los Angeles when I was re- recording out there. He said, "You know what? How many bass players have you got in Muscle Shows?" I said, "We probably got three or four. He said, "You know how many we got in L.A.?" And I said, "No." He said, 8,000. <laughs> 8,000 bass players. That's all about the bass. 
I mean, it's all about bass players and drummers and all the whole thing. But I, I've I've always been a melody man and a and a dancer man. And you only need and, one bass player. Yeah. Huh? You only you only need, you only need one bass player, and you only need two of those strings anyway. Oh, stop well, it! What is wrong with well, you? Well, that's that's true. That's <laughs> pretty much true, isn't it, Rick? Come on, you, you that, Well, I, I don't know. You know what? Maybe I've had the wrong theory all these years. That's what's wrong with my strength. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, your your uh, your memoir is riveting. There is a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of great stories. And, uh, and uh, you know, you don't seem like the jerk that uh, your bio says you are. You just seem... Well, I'm not. I'm huh? not. I must tell you that, hey, Drew, I'm, I'm a regular guy. I, I came up tough, you know, and hard. Hmm. And so, but I took on all comers, you know, the record labels and the Clive Davises and Jerry Wexers. And, and so people, and my bark is worse than my bite. I, I, I'll tell you the truth about it. Now, if, that's, if that's true, I, I might come down and visit you. Yeah, I want you to. Okay, I'm going to call you. Uh, you know what? I'm, I, I'm down in three weeks. Can I'm I say gonna... two producers sitting around talking about the industry? I would rather put a bullet in my head. You guys... We're, we're that interesting. Oh, right? my goodness. But there's just so much stuff. I don't know what you're talking about. And I want, when I grow up, I want to be one of you guys. But I don't even understand your language, man. It's, well, a, it's a club. We're not, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you're not getting in. We, we, don't, we, don't let, we don't let many people in. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a fraternity of sorts, you know. Yeah. Hey, what's the, name of this, what's the name of this book again? What's it called? The book, let me let me touch you talk talk to the publisher. He'll tell you all about this right here. Hold on. Put him on. Oh, what's this? What's hey, Drew, it's Sherman Smith with Heritage Builders Publishing. Sher- Sherman Smith, I want to thank you for letting me have a bit of time with that guy. He's a bit of a freak show, isn't he, huh? Well, yeah. That's what he's all about. I love it. He's one of the freakiest characters there is. <laughs> <laughs> What's the name of this book? Where do people buy it? I want people to get stuck into this thing. All right, it's The Man from Muscle Shoals, My Journey from Shame to Fame. So what this book does, it, it takes off where the DV, where the documentary. The, the, yeah, that came out, and, what, last year, was it? Yeah, last yeah. year, right. It was the number one documentary, according to American Music Magazine, and everybody that's watched it many times. Mm. But it takes off from there, and then it tells the rest of the Rick Hall story. So it's it, it's an amazing it's an amazing thing when you look at Rick's life and you see what he's done and what he's accomplished, and uh, people are not aware of that. Do you think Do you think he could still take uh, Mr. Aretha Franklin? Do you think he could still mess him up? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> Yeah, but to get the book, any bookstore, and uh, April, after April 7th, and then heritagebuilders.com. I invite people to go to my publishing website, heritagebuilders.com, and then famestudios.com, and then Amazon and all the rest of them out there. Man, well, thank you. I appreciate you getting behind him and telling his story because it was an untold story for so long, and I cannot figure that out. So no, it's when 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 I came to Muscle Shoals, the first time because I'd never heard of the place, and I'm thinking, holy moly! I mean, this is it. Yeah. You start meeting all of these people that literally are walking out of the woods. I don't want to offend anybody here. <laughs> I am one of them now. Right. My 15th trip in here, <laughs> but at any rate, uh, these people that walk out of the woods and they are pickers and singers and 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 uh, songwriters. Yeah. 
and not just just songwriters, etc. They are world class. So it's like something's in the water here, as Mac Davis said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I can imagine that the Muscle Shoals, the number one pickup line is, hey, baby, nice tooth. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's not That's not very Canadian. That's not, that's yeah, not yeah, very they, Canadian. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's what they do the picking with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, thank you. I really appreciate uh, that you time bet. with Rick and Dan. You guys, uh, you guys have fun in that uh, autograph signing thing you're doing, okay? Thank you so much for having him on. I'll, I'll let him say one last thing here. Yeah, yeah. Hey, Drew, you guys, man, it's, it's been a ball. Uh, I've enjoyed being with you and hanging with you and, and conversing with you, but but thank you so much for having me. Rick, you're not you're not a volatile dude, okay? Just say that to yourself in the mirror every morning. I'm not volatile, I'm not volatile, I'm not volatile. I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take that I'm gonna take that seriously and I'm gonna walk in front of the mirror and say, you know what, I'm not volatile. <laughs> but but hey man, it's 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 been great talking to you. Yeah. I hope I don't mean to be cutting you guys off, but I guess I guess I've wore out my welcome with you guys. No, no, I would I would love to go further. I really would, and keep chatting away because we could share a whole lot. But but we have more important people to talk to, Rick. We really do. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> My kind of guy. Uh, all right, we'll talk. Uh, may, uh, you know what? If I ever get down there, I'm dropping in, and Doug will definitely see it. So Doug is a bald, a bald producer from Toronto. Remember him, okay? Doug Romano. I um, will not. I will not forget that name. Okay. All right. He's. Uh, he's, uh, he's I'm in the uh, club. Yeah, he's Jewish, isn't he? Yeah. Yes, he. Yes, he is. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> yeah, at, right. at least a little. <laughs> all right. Good to talk to you, Rick. You take care, man. All right. Be, be good. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Oh, that was too fun. Rick Hall on the Drew Marshall Show. I just have too much fun. I don't know. I shouldn't it get... Just at, at everyone's expense. <laughs> yes. Really. I always feel better about myself when I step on someone else. Yeah. What do I, you want? I was going to say, just imagine the flies on the wall in that studio. Oh, my goodness. Can just, wow. I was just looking through a discography of his work, and it's like... It's crazy. Like the Rolling Stones recorded with them, you know, and they're, they were in Studio B. Yeah, because they had smoke. Dylan and <laughs> all these incredible names. All right, listen, it's time for us to move on, folks. Uh, uh, Doug Bromo is going to hang out with us a little bit while we uh, jump into this uh, final hour of our show. Melanie Peterson is in the house. So looking forward to having her perform live in studio. We call it live on the Drew Marshall Show, devoted solely to the art of music, and that's up next. It's hard to find quality guest speakers these days. If they're interesting, they're usually expensive. And if they're cheap, they're usually boring. Well, here's someone who's both expensive and boring. Drew Marshall is a high school dropout who tried to become a pro football player but didn't make it. He then tried to become a firefighter and didn't make it. Now he's trying to become a stand-up comic. <laughs> Good luck with that, Mr. Marshall. But if you're looking for someone who's unpredictable, incredibly honest, provocative, genuine, then we've got the right guy. Everyone seems to be an expert on something these days. Why not book someone who's an expert on nothing? Except how to be brutally honest about yourself and your faith. To book Drew Marshall as your guest speaker, go to drewmarshall.ca. 